Got it there. I made it around the world and came back with stories to tell. Different places to call. Now I'm never on my own. Dietations to my people hitting foreign nations. Food traveling shit. Moving to live. Life in the sky. Stories to give. The ones who make it there and can make it back. Salutations and shit, folks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Travel and Shit, your new favorite travel podcast, where I, your host, have an experiential conversation about travel and the experiences and the interactions and the, the way our lives have been improved uh, based on travel as opposed to just where I went and how I did it. Happy fucking new year, folks. We's uh, made it to the 21s of the 2000s, and uh, I'm happy to fucking be here. Uh, anything new? Can't say there is. Still merch. Still a um, planning course for those travelers of you that need a little extra confidence. That's still available. And I still have a mailing list. It's still there waiting for you to not get that many emails. In my head, I'm going to send y'all a, hey, happy new year email. Just haven't, uh, haven't been moved by the spirit to do so. But appreciate y'all folks here for the long haul. Welcome back into another year of travel and shit. I am truly humbled and grateful to have you guys and the notes and the merch you guys have been tagging me in and texting me. I truly, truly am grateful for you guys. And I ended 2020 with that same sense of gratitude. And I'm happy to say that I have begun 2021 with that same gratitude. And I'm looking forward to continuing to serve you as your low-key, high-key, extra sometimes, unextra other times travel homie that um, likes to just talk a lot of shit about travel. So we back at it, y'all. So that was the intro. A smooth two minutes and 18 seconds. I fucks with it. Now, for what you've been waiting for, the real shit. I have a guest. I am happy to start my year off with company. So to my beautiful guests, please welcome to Travel and Shit and do us uh, the honor of introducing yourself. You know what? I'm so grateful to be here to be the first guest of the year it is just truly an honor. Um, sharing traveling with the world, what you're doing is amazing. Uh, my name is Katiri. I'm here to represent Millennial Channel. Uh, we're a nonprofit that's really working to share how traveling uh, can be used as advocacy. Um, a lot of Black millennials and brown travelers are traveling the world every day. I mean, at a rate that um, we just really can't keep up with. It. I mean, just the amount of money that we're spending on travel is uh, huge. Um, and so I really think that there's so much that can be done with that. So I'm really happy to be here to talk with you about, you know, all the great things that come along with just traveling. And traveling is fun. So that just goes to say that advocacy is fun itself. Oh, that's actually... Um... A I like the way that that's put because you don't necessarily have to look at advocacy as, um, you know, your civil duty or a chore or something that you feel um, forced to do in any fashion. It's just like you can do good without having to really like break your neck. Like you don't have to um, go out of your way to be impactful in some form or fashion to other people, especially um, I've mentioned in previous episodes 
to um, be of service to the communities that you are positioning yourself in while on uh, your travels. And I am really happy to have you here to discuss this in a more um, structured and intentional fashion as opposed to just shopping local or you know trying to stay at boutique hotels or to patronize Airbnbs. And when choosing an Airbnb, to select an Airbnb that actually is owned by someone that lives in the area, as opposed to someone that, um, you know, is just purchasing properties in other locations for the profit. So before we get into what you do with your company, like how, what is your travel style? Who are you as a traveler? Let us get to know you a bit. Well, we're definitely not a company. We're a nonprofit. We're really just people by the people. Um, but, you know, I am an eclectic traveler, you know, because I, I really think outside the box when I'm traveling. I'm the type of traveler that likes to spend a month um, traveling through Colombia because I want to go to the mountains and the beaches, you know, I want to see what the indigenous community is doing. You know, one of the most um, insane places that I've been is Bhutan, which is near Nepal and China. Um, and just experiencing their lifestyle there was amazing because I really got to understand that, you know, um, in Western culture, we just become so accustomed to how we live that we don't realize that there are other cultures that are uh, meditating, um, that are going to their monks and asking for blessings, um, doing readings, um, all types of things that you would just never think about is common life. And to experience that in Bhutan, Time, to know that they have a king and a queen that their people can just stop and say hello to, to experience that as a Black American, American traveler, it really changes my perspective of what of how I'm interacting with the world and, and, and how I perceive the world. And I think that all black millennials, all brown travelers really need to go outside of the box. I mean, we all are going to eventually get to, you know, Paris and we're all going to go to Spain, uh, but why not go to places uh, like Taiwan or uh, India, places that we just, you know, um, can experience a new culture and language uh, that really just uh, will change our perspective of the world. So how did you end up in Bhutan? Oh my gosh. So of all, of all the stories uh, you asked me that, so actually I was at a random party um, in New York City um, and uh, there was a woman there who uh, was uh, essentially related to the royalty of Bhutan. Um, and she was a guest of the person whose party it was. Um, and so they were, we were all just, you know, drinking, having a great conversation. And, um, you know, they say that they're going to Bhutan. Now, I can assure you, I had never heard of Bhutan before that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I said, Bhutan. <laughs> I said, well, now, okay. I said, well, I want to go. They said, well, you can definitely go. I mean, um, they explained to me all I had to do was just, you know, buy my uh, flight. But the thing about Bhutan is you can only arrive through India or uh, Thailand or um, or I think Nepal, one other country. I don't, I don't recall the third one. Um, but I talked about it on Millennial Channel, at Millennial Channel. I, I had a one of my guest speakers on there um, that runs a company in Bhutan. And we we really hashed out all of the, the interesting things that come along with that because you have to pay a visa every day just to be oh. there. Um, and I think it's about like $200, but it comes with a translator. Um, it comes with transportation. It's just really interesting. I mean, it's just really an interesting way to travel. It's just like, what's happening? But to answer your question about how I got there, um, it was really, truly happenstance. I can assure you, 
I wasn't familiar with the country prior to my arrival. Nice. So um, you mentioned that you like to travel for like a month at a time and stay and explore different areas for countries and cities. Was that your experience in Bhutan as well? Um, I would say that I was in Bhutan for about maybe a week and a half. And oh, that's then still a nice time. So what did I you do? I was in India before I went to Bhutan, and then I was in India after I went to Bhutan. Where were you before Bhutan? Delhi. De- okay, okay. So what was it like to have that type of concierge service, I guess, like since you're paying for the translator and the... Um, I guess as part of the visa criteria, what, how was that experience with having that person with you different than say, you know, you pick up, you purchase your flight, you go someplace else and you're kind of at your own, you know, you move at your own discretion. Like, did you feel restricted in any form? Were there any like governmental strings attached to your tie there? Like, it just seems kind of also like they're kind of putting a plant in, at least in my mind, I'm like, well, if you're assigning me a translator, that's useful. But who is this translate? Like, do you have any type of um, control over who your translator is? Because, I mean, you went there and you knew someone, if you will, that was there. So what if you were, you know, going with someone you knew? There's so many layers to that question that I want to answer. So to to answer the question directly, um, Bhutan has a very structured um, uh, tourist industry simply because of the fact that they don't want backpackers just staying in their mountains because their mountains are very spiritual places for them. Um, And and they don't want that. And that's why you have to pay a travel visa every, every day. Now, just because you have a transit, it doesn't mean that you're restricted. It's more so just to get you through um, the day. And, and, And when I say that the travel through Bhutan is structured, I really mean in a sense that you see the same tourists in every place that you're going, even to the point that there's buffets in different places in the mountain because they expect you to be there. You know, and and so it it is very structured. So, but then on the second hand, um, when you initially asked me your question, I thought of what was it like to have service available to you? Um, uh, And I think that like when you're in countries like um, that are not, you know, in the West. Uh, Yes, when you're in countries that are not in the West, you, you don't have the same luxuries um, as like having, you know, house staff and service always available. But when you, when you have that available to you in like other countries like India and things of that nature, it really changes the game. You really start to say to yourself, wow, I mean, having house staff is really not an out of the box, you know, uh, equation. Yeah. That was one of the things that I absolutely appreciated about, um, parts of, Cuba, yeah, in Havana, I ended up having the um, the husband and wife that owned the second property that I stayed in. Every morning they came and made me breakfast and, you know, like they cleaned up after themselves making breakfast. They made sure that if I didn't need any towels or any linens or anything. So it wasn't that they, I wouldn't say that they were like staff, but like I had breakfast every morning. Same thing in Bali. Um, the few days that I was up late enough because most days um, I started super early because I did like a sunrise hike and I did something else that was like wild early or whatever. But for the days that I was able to wake up and enjoy a breakfast, the man that owned the house would come cook, make sure I didn't need anything, didn't need to drop anything off, didn't need to, like, it was just that level of, oh, I don't have to do it myself. And it's not that it was, 
it's one of those things where in my mind, from my experience, I'm not a luxury traveler because I can't afford luxury travel, but you realize how much you actually can afford when you go to countries outside of your, um, your, I don't know, hmm, what's the most appropriate way to put it in terms of the way America, most of Europe functions, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I want to say third world, but you get what I'm saying? Like you can go to so many other countries. And so there's different statues of, you know, that yeah. the economy. Uh, but you know, one of the great things about being in New York City is that you get great travel deals when you're flying all around the world. So that's one of the great things is like, you know, you're, you know, you're always going to be able to travel somewhere. I mean, even, even yeah. the last one. And that's one of the great things about, you know, having access to international hubs. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I learned to appreciate. I want to say it was last summer or two summers ago. I was trying to um, find the best way to visit my best friend, but then at the same time get international. She lives in Kentucky. And so it was like, all right, well, I can visit her. I can be there for her graduation, stay there for about three or four days, then maybe go to, I don't know, Bali. I think I was looking to go to Bali around the same time I was going to her graduation. But the catch with that was I'm not spending $600 to fly there from fucking Nashville. But being in New York City, like you said, it's just, there are so many traveled it. Like everything is so much cheaper flying out of a hub like JFK or LaGuardia, even from Newark versus- And use your, and, and use your layovers. If you have a layover in a crazy city, mm-hmm. then you're like, what? Just go and get like a hotel for the night and go out to dinner in that city. I mean, you know, you just never know what could happen. And sometimes people may be, you know, you know not really interested in doing that. No, I always say to book the layover because that's how I've been able to see so much with so few trips is it uh, taking advantage of all the layovers. So when you travel, are you a solo travel normally uh, or do you do? Definitely a solo traveler usually, um, absolutely usually a solo traveler. Now, do you overpack, underpack, backpack? Um, I definitely overpack and then I shop along the way. So I end up like trying to figure out a way to get everything back on the flight all the time. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's magic that we possess as travelers. I always like am teetering on the and just smile my way through to like not have people weigh my bags when I go. And then when I come back, it's just like, listen, if you catch me, you catch me. Because at this point, I don't even know how I got all of this shit in here because I refuse to check bags. I pay the guidelines like as much attention as I should, because honestly, like if I can get away with just getting as much baggage into my carry-on as possible, mm-hmm. that's the goal, really. Yeah. I, I don't believe in um, checked luggage. But how do you yeah. suggest or what is your um, experience of travel in, this, in, the form, in the former fashion, I guess, would be how, do you, how are you able to travel for an extensive period of time? Do you work remotely or is it that you just maximize PTO? Like, how does that work for you? What is your, uh, your normal person lifestyle that allows you to travel for like a month at a time? You know what? That's such an interesting question, especially because I get it all the time. Literally, I get it from my friends. I get it from acquaintances. And I think that traveling is just so ingrained in my lifestyle and everything that I value, that it, it's it's not something that, that I have to include in my life. It's something that is, everything else has to be 
you know, scheduled around my travel. I think when a normal person would say, you know, that their work um, would be um, first and then that they would have their travel, you know, um, associated in the pockets of time that they have left extra. I, I'm the type of person that I'm traveling all the time, you know, and, and I'm being a creative and, I, and I'm just, you know, being as innovative and um, connecting all the dots that I'm really just, you know, working for the betterment of society rather than just thinking about, um, you know, how I can really capitalize off of uh, working um, in a corporate structure from a nine to five. Okay, so you don't have your traditional nine to five, essentially. Well, I wouldn't say that because I, I am doing the same work as as that, but I, I, I just don't have to be confined by the boundaries of that. Okay, so you're you have the uh, luxury of working remote, then I would assume. I guess that's implicit in the nature of the work. Okay, okay, because what I'm I guess what I'm trying to find out is if do you have the typical I swipe in or I have to report to my job at a at an assigned time per se, or because it sounds like you've just got a lot of um, free movement or you've got the luxury of just being able to come and go with your work. Cause I know that for the majority of my work history, I've always been confined to, this is what my job is saying that I have to do, but I like um, highlighting different types of employment that allow people the luxury of, like you were saying, not being restricted by what is being placed on them by the workplace versus what you would like to offer to the workplace. Yeah, I definitely would say it's uh, more of the latter and um, it's more of a freestyle approach. Okay. So how did you get involved with Millennial what, millennial Travel? Millennial, millennial Channel. Uh, well, Millennial Channel really is to incorporate, you know, the intersections of travel and global politics. You know, I, I really want people to see that, you know, their traveling can be used as a soft power. I really think that traveling can be so impactful. And I think that it's sometimes overlooked. Uh, I think that just looking at, you know, the black travel alone, that's over $50 billion. Uh, but then if you, you know, look at it deeper, I mean, black millennials are spending a large majority of that. And then you have brown millennials, which is over $50 billion. And if you think about that, you really could think that, you know, wow, all of this money could really transform an entire economy just, just simply by you know, me deciding to go to that location. So that's, for example, saying Black millennials said, I'm going to go to Haiti at least once this year. If they decided to do that, that's $50 billion that would literally circulate in Haiti. Now, I, I'm not saying that that's going to be something that's, you know, easy to do if you're staying at a Ritz-Carlton or the Marriott or the Hilton. That's something that you're going to be able to do if you're staying, you know, at local hotels or hotels that are not really trying to avoid the local tax economy. Mm -hmm. um, so I really think that, um, you know, travel has so much power to it. And I, and I really am working to allow uh, brown millennials and millennials overall to see how they can use their travel dollars um, to really make a change. Okay, so then in that vein, what if you, let me specifically ask, what do what does Millennial Channel provide? Are you guys like, uh, do you curate trips for millennials or is it that you just um, are um, 
an information springboard for if I were to curate my own trip like I do, I would just be able to contact you guys and say, hey, what resources are available in this uh, location in particular that I should be made aware of so that I know that the money that I'm spending is actually going to an organization or to a group of people that I trust are directly um, in tune with the local demographic versus governments or, you know, larger corporations and um, businesses. Well, I wanted to really essentially show that it's all of that. So to tell you the three core things that we do, um, we are doing pressuring tourist companies to help the humanitarian causes in the cities and countries that they're located. You know, if they have the resources and they have the money to help refugees and they have everything that's needed, um, why, why are not the tourists pressuring those companies that they support to help, you know, the refugees? We want to also dismantle this cliche colonial vision of brown countries. You know, a lot of people um, are, are understanding that, you know, brown countries are second and third world countries, uh, but there, there are, they are those things or they have those characteristics simply because of the fact of this cliche colonial vision that was supposed to, it, it, it was supposed to be. And because of that, and because it's a failed colonial vision um, in that sense, um, it now has all of these negative characteristics. So we wanna really destroy that. And then we wanna educate and mobilize travelers on how to use their traveling as a soft power and a political act. And so we're doing a lot of things. You know, th those three things that we're working on also have their subsection. So we're developing an app you know, that will be, that will eventually be able to connect, you know, humanitarians internationally that are working on uh, volunteer projects and, and, and connect humanitarians internationally that are working on advocacy. Um, you know, and we're also working to crowdfund for small villages. I, I was speaking with you earlier about, um, you know, we're looking to partner with a lot of indigenous communities that are in Paraguay. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, um, a lot of things that are really going on in, in those underprivileged communities, or whether it being that they lacking the you know the digital infrastructure, the technology right. infrastructure, or whether it's you know just the fact that they don't have clean water or the fact that they don't have you know sources of work because of the pandemic. So I'm really you know working with um, you know um, community leaders um, to see how we can be of assistance and to see how we can serve. One of the things that we are not doing is just assuming how we can be of service. We actually are trying to get into contact with these people first and say, hey, what's going on there? And how can we be of help? I feel like a lot of times we have these NGOs that just assume they understand the infrastructure and how they can you know, make it more Western, but I'm really not trying to Westernize that indigenous community. Um, I'm really working um, to see how I can provide, you know, the resources that we have and the resources that we are going to be presented with and transition it to them so that, so that they are able to, you know, further thrive. And then we want to just, you know, overall just encourage travel to places that people would never think about going to. Like I said, Bhutan. You know, I wasn't afraid to go to Bhutan. When someone said to me they were going to Bhutan, I didn't, I said, I'm hopping on the next flight. Where, where, where are we going? How are we going? You know, and that was one of the best experiences of my life. And so I want to really encourage travel to places that people would never go. I want people to go, you know, explore Brazil, explore Colombia, you know, explore South America, explore, you know, India and all of these other places that we, you know, even Pakistan, who would think to go to a vacation to Pakistan, but they probably learned so much just by visiting, you know? So I, I really think that, um, 
we serve so many different purposes. Um, but um, just to summarize, that's that's the best I could do. So how do you provide those services to travelers directly? So it like what where's that connection between um, Millennial Channel and myself? So, you know, that's something and that is the mystery that I'm continuing to try to figure out. You know, right now we're doing weekly Instagram lives where I am doing Instagram lives with people from all around the world that I'm connected with from the Netherlands, from Colombia, from India, from Bhutan. I'm, I'm, I'm connecting with these people, these millennials over overseas. And then I'm also trying to connect these millennials to the to the brown millennial community in the U.S. Um, so I'm, right now I'm doing that by. Um, Instagram. Uh, but however, as soon as we launch our app, that's going to be the second medium that we're using. And of course, we have our website. Um, and because of the pandemic, you know, there is are there are those issues with, um, you know, having physical, you know, events, but you know, um, once that's something that's able to be done, then that will also be something that's implemented. So it sounds like for now, you guys are just uh, an informational source. Uh, like I would follow you guys or tune into one of your lives to hear from someone that has a company or that is part of an organization in, 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 um, in a, a destination that I may be interested in to see how I would be able to be of service to them should I go to that, uh, that destination. That's what I'm getting. Well, that would be a, a more specific sense, uh, but we also sell products on our website that are, we use the funds of that to mm -hmm. support some of the indigenous communities. So if you go to millennialchannel.org, you're gonna find products that you can purchase such as hoodies, um, you know, um, coffee mugs, and those type of purchases are going to be supportive in, in the nature of us working to create a more humanitarian world. Um, we use our Instagram to connect the advocacy trends that are happening internationally. So one of the things that we talked about at the beginning of the of, of this is that, you know, um, advocacy can really be something that's seen in your everyday life. And that's something that Millennial Channel essentially tries to embody. Because um, I don't want people to think that you know, because I'm an advocate, you're going out of your way to do something. Just because you're traveling in itself, that is a form of advocacy. If you're brunching correctly, that could be a form of advocacy, depending on how those brunch funds are be, being used. What you're doing can really make a difference. And I think millennials in general have that, you know, so, that connection to a social impact mm -hmm. overall. They're definitely going to choose the company or the product that has a, a socially conscious, you know, awareness to it. That's just, that's just embodied in their nature of millennials. And so I, I think that, you know, there's so many different ways to teach millennials to do that. And if you want to say that we're an informational source, then sure, we definitely do teach people how they can use their everyday life life in advocacy and show them the different trends of advocacy that are international. If you look at Millennial Channel's Instagram, you'll see what's going on um, in Haiti or the Dominican Republic or um, in Sudanam or in India. You'll see these type of news sources and just a different perspective that you wouldn't see on the global news. So if you're traveling or thinking about traveling to these places, it may spark these different ideas. Um, so I definitely think that um, we're informational source in that sense, but we're also working to do other things um, like connect millennial humanitarians and, and, and such. 
Okay, so how do you do that? How do you connect um, millennials with uh, humanitarian opportunities or um, uh, the word just, you just said it uh, like 30 seconds ago. Uh, I feel like it starts with an A, not just humanitarian, but um, thank you. If I wanted to take a trip uh, two months from now, um, you know, me and a couple of my friends, we decide that, all right, well, we got some PTO or we've got some free time. We want to go somewhere, but when we go, we want to do something useful or something positive. Fill in the blanks for me. I definitely, so that's something that's going to be on the millennial channel app. So I want you to be able to say, wow, I want to spend a day of my time um, donating some of my time at a local charity speaking to, you know, um, orphaners. Um, I think that that would be something that you could, you know, do, but also, you know, I, I also, you know, want to um, connect millennials in the sense that they're, that, um, you know, they can do this in their everyday life. So one of the things that we've done um, is we've hosted Chinese classes for lower income communities um, in Brooklyn. Um, that's something that, um, that was intergenerational. That's something that didn't really include traveling out, out, of your, out of your comfort zone. So that means that if you were at the local library in Brooklyn, New York, you could have literally had a free Chinese workshop. That Chinese workshop could have sparked an idea that you maybe want to visit China or maybe you want to um, have some type of business connection there. Um, that, that, that introduction to that type of culture or that language, we, we don't know how it's going to react with your history or where you are presently. And it really can spark something amazing. Um, so we're doing it by showing people how to interact with, with advocacy in their local communities and how to interact with advocacy in their international communities. And so by us working with, you know, these um, indigenous communities in Paraguay, um, we're raising awareness to the funds that they have going on. So the millennials that are working with us, they're able to say, oh, I want to donate money to this indigenous family in Paraguay, that's also another way. So there's many different ways that, you know, we're working to support millennial advocacy overall, internationally and um, domestically. Okay, so it's interesting that, um, for me at least, uh, that politics is also part of your platform. I've often debated with going to certain destinations based off of some type of political uprising or political something or other going on in other places. Um, particularly what comes to mind is DR. Hmm. I am really hesitant on going to DR strictly because I know how um, their tensions with the Haitian community are. Um, I'm not Haitian, but I've had friends that thought I was Haitian for years and a bitch was flattered. But that being said, it's like I've known people that have traveled there and, you know, had really uncomfortable situations arise where they've seen a lot of like, you know, uh, brutality and um, just assault outright, you know, that it's just like, all right, well, y'all are lighter than me. And you guys, by the grace of God, didn't get involved in what was happening right in front of you. But if I show up and just keep my mouth shut, you know what I mean? Like as soon as I open my mouth, you'll know I'm American, but I don't ever want to put myself in a position where that's what saves me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I also didn't want to ever feel like I am, um, 
going to be I don't know. It's just something about it where I feel I don't want to feel as if I am supporting a government or um, an institution because, again, I'm showing up just as someone who has no real strong idea of what's going on around me. You know, like I show up, I check into my Airbnb and I go to my different um, excursions that I book on Airbnb. But the politics of it, the way that they treat um, the Haitians that have lived there their entire lives. And it's not that like all Dominicans hate Haitians. Like I'm not trying to imply that, but for those of y'all that have listened to the past episodes, I've really gotten into, you know, how I feel about going to um, DR in particular. And that's not the only country that I know India, for example, is not exactly, or has not been known to be the safest or most comfortable place for um, many solo women travelers. And so little things that I've heard and learned from other people who have been in those situations have kind of reserved me from going. In terms of the politics of it, how do you guys, how are you a bridge between a traveler and the politics of a destination that I'm considering going to? Like, do you guys, um, like, what is your stance? Do you try to just educate and let people make the decision on their own? Or do you guys take the route of here is where you do not want to go because of X, Y, and Z political reasons? What is your um, what is your function in that? Well, I think it's something completely different. I think we're turning it on its head and we're definitely saying that traveling itself is a soft power and political act. Just the usage of travel, you know, is a persuasive approach, you know, of international relations, a bridge between culture and languages. And that is what politics is. That's what global politics is. And I think that, you know, um, if you are an economic block, and you are traveling, then you have more power than you realize. I think that if you can bring, you know, uh, if you can transform an economy into a thriving nation, you know, that is politics in itself. And I, and I don't think that, you know, Millennial Channel is used um, to, to analyze the different political structures of each country and see how it's safe or not safe for each traveler to go at a time. It's definitely, um, it's going back to what you said, an informational source or um, something that really is helping people connect the dots and realizing, you know, how their travel can be impactful. I mean, if you are going, you know, if you're arriving at an international airport, um, just the clothes that you have on are extremely impactful. You are interfacing with the world. You are essentially on a global stage by being in an international airport, whether you're in Frankfurt, Germany, or whether you're in Taipei, Taiwan, and you have on maybe a shirt that says NSARS. That can spark someone to just look up what that means. I mean, traveling has so many different levels of impact, or, or whether you decide that you want to uplift an entire community simply by going to all of their restaurants that are in that community at a time, um, that can transform whether that, that neighborhood is going to eat that week or not. I mean, those th that sense of understanding that you're traveling is political can really transform how you use it. So how would you suggest um, a traveler who is on uh, limited, re I won't say limited, but someone that's not a chain. Um, actually, you know what? I'm gonna do ones and twos for y'all. Some of y'all are traveling on points. 
So if someone that is traveling on points or they, you know, they happen to work for Marriott, so they get that employee discount or their spouse, family member, whatever. So they are traveling and they're staying at some place that is like you mentioned before, Ritz Carlton or um, Wynn Resorts, whatever. If you stay at a resort, if you're staying at some place that's not local, small, how would you suggest someone still be able to um outside of just you know wearing t-shirts and stuff like that how would you suggest someone is able to use that trip for some level of advocacy or humanitarian uh work well the first thing i would suggest is that you go to a local vegan restaurant every community has a vegan restaurant and that vegan restaurant is more than likely definitely owned by someone that is from that neighborhood. Someone that's not only from that neighborhood, but someone that's um, sourcing their food from local farms from that neighborhood. And that is a chain reaction of you just, you know, being an international humanitarian in the sense that, wow, all I did was have a juice. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know, when I went to Colombia, I was stunned at the amount of vegan restaurants um, that were available. I'm a lifelong vegan. I, I was raised vegan. I'm okay. vegetarian now. Uh, but I would not think that spending my month in Colombia that I would, you know, interact with so many vegan restaurants to the point where I was I was like, wow, they have better quality vegan restaurants than they do in the States. Um, the food is sourced from the local farm. So it's definitely fresh, definitely high quality. Um, and I think that even to the point where they have, you know, vegan burgers, vegan burger okay. restaurants that are just solely for vegan burgers. Okay, so that'll be the first thing you know, that, you know, that you can do. The second thing is, as I always said, start local. How about one of the things that you pack in your suitcase be a local brand or a local sustainable brand? And then you're taking that brand international just by having it in your suitcase, whether that be a local water bottle brand or, or whether that's, you know, um, a, a local wax company or, or a, a local candle company. Having that with you and bringing that abroad um, that that's a dream for for the community itself, that community at least, to think that their brand is now traveling, you know, borders. That's actually a really good point. I've never considered so. Ooh, thanks for that, Jim. Um, what ways would you suggest that someone who um, may not necessarily be looking to actively do something uh, like tangible hands-on um, advocacy, like, or humanitarian. Like, I don't want to go and volunteer someplace, but I want to find a, um, a community or some type of resource that I can just give funds to, or that I can just bring awareness to by visiting, or even in terms of sourcing things to do. Like, I want to just have a good time. How would you suggest that a traveler is able to choose companies that they can um, somehow be doing good with, as opposed to just saying, okay, well, since I'm staying at, you know, a um, chain facility, I don't want to do everything on this property. I would like to venture out and do something outside. How would you suggest that a traveler go about actually making sure that the places that they book these excursions with, or the places that they're giving their money to are um, connected to communities? Well, I, I understood your question 
um, there were two questions in that question. I, I, I want to go back before I answer. Um, so part of the question that I got was, you know, how can, you know, people that want to like, you know, donate money or, or things of that nature, but also have fun at the same time, how can they incorporate that? And so when you asked that, I immediately thought of a question that I asked similarly on um, one of the Millennial Channel Lives that we have weekly. And I thought about um, something that Rescue said when we talked about exploring Africa. If you, wanna, if you want to uh, give back in advocacy or, or, or something of that nature, and you don't want to go too much out of your comfort zone, then why not um, have a birthday party brunch or a birthday party and um, a percentage of the, the brunch goes to your favorite charity. That's something that you could easily do because you're going to have um, a, a brunch or for your birthday anyway, or you're going to have a happy hour for your birthday anyway. So if you go to a happy hour and say, hey, I'm going to have 15 of my friends at this happy hour and I'm going to donate, you know, 15% of it to Millennial Channel or your favorite nonprofit, then you're going to say, wow, um, I'm really being, you know, I'm really being an advocate in my everyday life and I didn't even do anything but mind my business and have a good time. Right. Okay, now, and, and then the second part of your question is I'm hearing, uh, what is, what do you do when you, you want to go abroad and, and you just want to have a good time and you want to go to, um, um, you don't really want to, um, you know, do anything in particular, but you want to make sure the place that you are spending your money at is, um, you know, a local business. Right. Um, well, I would definitely say that, you know, you want to go to, if you're a millennial, of course, you want to go to, you know, a local winery or a local beer garden. I mean, that's going to be sourcing from the community, obviously. So that would be something that you can do. Um, I think that you should always have conversations with the people around you see, you know, what communities they go to, what are their local cafes, what are their traditions, or, or maybe if you just took a walk outside of your hotel or wherever you're staying, you'll see that people are, there's a line in front of someplace, you mm -hmm. know, um, th that in itself might show you that that is, you know, a community staple and someplace that you probably should also try to support as well. Okay. Another thing that you had mentioned earlier is really dismantling the um, idea that black and brown countries are all third world countries and that they've kind of, um, you know, are laden with the contrast and comparison of whiteness to non-whiteness. How do you guys at uh, Millennial Channel combat that in particular? And how can we as travelers help you guys with that part of your mission? Well, the thing about it is, is there is so many countries in this world that we don't know about. And it is insane to think that you can be extremely educated in America and you cannot know of a country like Burkina Faso. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, I can assure you, I'm getting my hair done by an African woman in Asia. And she's telling me, I'm like, oh, where are you from? And she's like, oh, Burkina Faso. And I'm like, excuse me, where is that? You know, and to learn about a new country after you have two master's degrees, it's kind of just like, well, where did I, where did I go wrong? I mm -hmm. mean, how, how did I, you call me educated? Well, I don't even know uh, what's going on. There's countries in South America, Sudanam. Um, there's so many countries that we just don't know about. Why is that? Because there is this um, dismantled um, vision of where they're supposed to be on the global stage. And because of, you know, how um, colonialism has had an impact on their political, economic, social structure, they don't even have a chance of being marketed 
in tourist companies. Tourist companies aren't even focusing on that, focusing on them. And to think that tourism is the is the sole thing that could actually change their entire nation into a thriving economy is baffling because black millennials in particular have the power to do that. They're traveling all over the place. All of my friends on Instagram, they're in Tulum. I don't know where your friends are. Some of some of my friends are in Budapest. Some of my friends, I mean, they're just and now in a pandemic. Right. So the black travel dollar is not going anywhere and, and it's gonna be somewhere and 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 it could actually be used in a way that people don't even know. Because if you just say, oh, I'm gonna spend six months, all of my friends, we're going to this particular place and we're gonna be socially conscious about how we're spending money. Wow, that just a million dollars. I mean, and that's not, and that's just a small amount of the of the black millennials if we choose. I mean, we're saying that this over fifty billion black travel dollars is over fifty billion dollars. Well, I mean, where is it going? To Paris? Right. And it's not that it takes the entire fifty billion to help improve the infrastructure of many countries. Can one million be, you know, in a place of, uh, you know, at least solidarity strategy something? And question for you, is there, um, because I don't want anyone to feel as if this is outside of any level, um, any price point, if you will. So -hmm. would you be able to speak to the varying ways that someone could kind of incorporate this into any kind of trip, whether it is a family trip and you're traveling with your children, whether you're traveling with a partner, going solo, I just feel like sometimes it can kind of miss people in the sense that it kind of feels like, oh, well, that's if you're just, you know, you've got six months to be abroad and, you know, skip around and go all these places and you can go to, you know, the forest and look into how indigenous people live. And I just really feel that, well, no, you could be a solo traveler and not necessarily spend, um, you know, a month backpacking through the woods, but there are different levels of um, advocacy that can be, there are different approaches to it. Would you be able to speak to different, um, like a really low cost way that someone could do it? And well, no, you've already done the low cost, but if you are interested in doing more um, like a family trip, like if you're traveling with your children, something that might be a little bit safer and then something that, you know, if you just got the bread, just burn, like what is like a, I don't want to say a bowl out of control, but you don't have a week to spend being a uh, a worker on a farm to, you know, mm-hmm. be that in tune with the land. But, you know, something that's just a little more, you know, I got about $500 that I could stand to part with, or I got $1,000 I could stand to part with. What can I do so that I trust also? Because something that I've been a little leery about is, I agree with ask questions, talk to the people around you, but what are some things that you can, cause I feel like now I'm asking you three questions. So apologizing uh, in advance, but now I feel like I can ask anyone, what do you suggest, but how would I know, or what kind of um, securities should I have mentally or things should I look out for to not be taken advantage of? Cause I feel like anybody can say, we'll come back to that. Okay. So listen, if you're not going to explore the local bookshop at the state right over, then you're not going to be excited about exploring the local bookshop in the, in the country 
across the seas. I mean, so there's so many different ways that you can um, support a sustainable lifestyle. And as I said, it starts locally. Advocacy starts in your everyday life. Just these very simple things that you think, you know, are nearly impossible to do just by you saying, you know what? I'm gonna carry a reusable water bottle instead of having a plastic water bottle, you know, or deciding that you wanna do that and bring a, bring that reusable water bottle with you abroad instead of you reusing water bottles. I mean, there's many different ways that you can practice, you know, this, you know, in on a lower scale, so to speak. But I mean, if you have a thousand to $1,500 to travel, that's a significant amount of money to travel. That's, that's definitely, Definitely, you know, an amount of money that um, you can definitely go overseas. I mean, depending on where you are, you can get a flight overseas in economy for about $600. Um, so depending on how you want to live abroad, you can, or depending on where you're going, um, you can arrange for your stay to be about 300. I don't know if you're going to a place that you have friends or not, but I think that there are definitely, and I'm sure that there are German backpackers somewhere that had a blast with just $1,500 and hit a few countries with just that little bit of mm -hmm. um, And so in, when, in, um, in regards to staying safe, uh, when you're traveling um, and making sure that you're not being taken advantage of. I mean, you just have to have that sense of street smarts the, that um, you would in your own city. I mean, um, I, I definitely don't think that, I mean, as someone like myself, I wouldn't say that I am the uh, proponent of safe travel, um, so to speak, because I'm a very free spirit and I'm enjoying my travel and I'm in meeting new people and I'm having a blast. You know, um, so I'm the last person to give advice on how to stay safe um, and protect yourself 100%. However, um, you I definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but however, I would say, you know, that um, I definitely I've survived thus far and I have tons of friends in all types of cities just because of the fact that I was open to the situation and I and I and I and I've met friends that are that have been my friends for years. You know, um, and, and I keep those connections. And when I go back to those cities, I, I'm able to visit them and things of that nature. So you shouldn't be afraid to, to make those connections, but you should also, you know, uh, make sure that you have control of the situation. So if, so I think essentially, if you approach someone, you, you really are necessarily in control of that situation because they were not asking for you to approach them. So they really can't have some type of scam prepared. I mean, now if you're in Paris, they met. I mean, because there's <laughs> things going down in Paris. I mean, I literally, tried to ha I literally had someone literally having a full-blown conversation with me as their hand is in my purse. Like, I just don't understand the level of audacity that they have. Uh, but, you know, um, I definitely think that there are ways that you can maintain a level of safety while um, enjoying yourself and being open to the environment. Do you have any... Um experience with things going wrong that you can use as like a cautionary tale? That's a good question. I really don't think so. Um, I mean, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised because the things that I've done, we're happy that, you know, I've made it out of the countries that I've been in. So, you know, but I definitely would say that I don't think I've had anything crazy happen. I've definitely had just, you know, fun experiences with, you know, locals and stuff, but nothing um, insane 
I wouldn't think. I I don't know. No, nothing crazy that I I'm familiar with. Okay, that's good then. I'm happy to hear that. And I pray that it always stays that way for you. So where can the people find you? Where can we get more information? And where where can we stay up to date with the progress that Millennial Channel is making in terms of developing the app? Because at this point, it seems like it's absolutely um, a resource that we can tap into for, you know, just opening our minds to places that we've never heard of. Because like you said, as educated as we want to be, if you're not doing an international law or international studies class, or if you're not targeting your education to, you know, um, world economies, then it, it's, it's completely missed. It, it just doesn't really, you know, you have to open yourself to have these um, places and people put in your purview. So where can we find you? Where can we tap in so that we have these opportunities to follow you and get this information and have our minds expanded? And then um, in time, have more resources given to us so that as we travel, we can check in with you guys and see where, you know, where all the communitarian happenings is at. Yeah, so definitely um, stay plugged in with us um, at Millennial Channel. It's, you know, a Millennial Channel spelled the right way. M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L-C-H-A-N-N-E-L. Um, and then millennialchannel.org spelled that same way. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You know, Twitter has their um, their cap on the the, the word. So it's just, it's millennial channel without the A and the E. So millennial and then C H N N L on mm-hmm. Twitter. Um, and we will, if you follow us, sign up for our newsletter at millennialchannel.org. Um, if you are plugged in with us, you'll definitely know when the app launches and you guys will be the first to know. Um, and I'm sure it will come with some deals. So it's, it will behoove you to make sure that, you know, you're in the know about what Millennial Channel is doing. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time and, Folks, there will, of course, as the always, be links in the description box below. So don't forget to also, um, as a resource, where there will also be uh, links. And if you're inter- if you're listening to the podcast and not watching the podcast, you can go to travelandshippodcast.com, and it's a real easy way to just get to the video for the podcast. If you're not following, um, follow me on the uh, I'm about to say the Instagrams. Um, what's the thing where the videos? YouTube. YouTube yeah. folks. So um, visual, audio, I got all the flavors for you. Well, actually just the two. <laughs> I don't know what else there is. Ain't no sight. Ain't no touch and smell over here, folks. So um, it was another really great conversation that absolutely highlighted my very, very um, simple yet important. I don't even know what to say. It's considered, it's a belief but also um, show tagline that uh, travel is more than vacation. It's not about just showing up to a place and you know having a good time. You can actually do good while having a good time, folks. Mm-hmm. All right, so thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for joining us. However, you got us. And uh, see you next week, folks. Bye.